0: I'm Tom Dennis, CEO of Serenity and Leadership, and we're premier leadership development and culture integration specialists. We help businesses overcome challenges and achieve successful lasting outcomes whilst always putting their people at the heart of the business. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Helen Arjaru in our series exploring leading responsibly in a VUCA world with integrity and purpose. So, Helen, welcome.
1: Hello everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me to this. Tom, I'm very excited to share this time with you.
0: Brilliant. Fantastic. It's it's wonderful to 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 have you on this podcast. Can you give us just a a, a very quick sort of overview of your your work and where you've come from and and you know what's really important to you today?
1: Yes, thank you so much, Tom, for inviting me to this. It's a great pleasure to be here. So I studied clinical psychology. I've always been a more creative mind, but have a very strong analytical um, way of understanding the world. So I went further into studying the way rhythm affects the brain. I became a musician and a drummer. So I was fascinated by new healing modalities, new ways to bring the body-mind system into integration through the central nervous system. Learned a lot about how that all works. And then went into leadership, training and mentoring startups and business innovation. Fascinating because it's very creative. And I've done a lot of work on gender and uh, how to build um, more visibility, higher destiny, optimize performance. And that's mainly the work I do now
0: fantastic thank you so let's let's dive into this you you work um, or trained as a, as a clinical psychologist how does your background in crisis counseling inform your approach to leadership coaching
1: well it's a very brilliant question for the times we're living in Tom I think this is a really a very interesting time in history some people have actually talked about it as the frothy edge of evolution, Ken Wilber, and another great woman, Dr. Jean Houston, calls this an epic time. And I think what makes it so epic is that we are facing very specific challenges, and they are critical challenges for us to either overcome and or regenerate brand new solutions for the world from. So I think crisis is a very important opportunity for us to have to meet an edge in ourselves that as a edge that we cannot cross unless we discover something in ourselves from the void or unless we develop a whole new skill in being then able to meet the crisis get through it and actually reinvent ourselves and so for me crisis counseling was one of the most amazing opportunities I had to meet people in very dire situations. And I was um, privileged to hear them in the void to hear their struggle at that time in the void. And I've been in my own challenging times, as I'm sure all of us have. So we all know what it's like to be facing an edge that we cannot cross part of ourselves that we haven't uh, known how to use. In whatever we are facing. And I think humanity is at that place now. And we need lots of reassurance. But more than that, we need guidance and leadership from people that actually have crossed a juncture in their own inner process. People that have been through some kind of dark night of the soul, or people that have regenerated in this way that I've been talking about.
0: Mm. The dark night of the soul. Yes. <laughs> with your 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 experience um can you just paint a little picture of 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 give give an example of of that um um, right I'm I'm hearing the words but I I'm I want to I want to feel the picture
1: (laughs) yeah what does it look like yeah if we see the way we are in the world now we have so many very interesting Shadows coming into light and by Uh, example of our leaders out there even people that are self-led you know all of us in our own lives are starting to see certain things that we've kept buried for a very long time and I think that's not just coincidental it's very uh, typical of the time we're in so um, we have uh, according to some ancient Greek philosophers this idea that the planet goes through contraction and expansion in different almost 300 year intervals um, and so we t- tend to look at this time, some of us, as a time of contraction. And in times of contraction, we've just come out of great expansion, used up a whole lot of resources, people leading companies, people leading projects, governments, um, even us in our own lives had a certain kind of mask that we would wear in order to manage all this. And was quite difficult to really get real about the shadows, about the parts of us we don't like, the parts of us that don't look good out there in society, getting real about certain things that um, maybe uh, show our weaknesses or show our vulnerability. But we've seen the rise of emotional intelligence. We've seen uh, lots of kickback against racial prejudice, bias. Uh, We've seen lots of these leaders out there kind of revealed for things that they've done in the past or might even be doing right there in their leadership position that are not the kinds of things we accept or endorse watching them as our leaders. So I think when we talk about crossing an edge or looking at that in practical terms, um, you know, how does crisis intervention or crisis kind of understanding crisis uh, really apply to this time is that, when we do have to see parts of ourselves, when others out us on things that we've done that maybe we've been hiding away or or, or lying about or simply uh, we're not kind of professional enough in, and or when it gets exposed in whatever way, um, when we get taken down, let's say, yes, it could be uh, slightly corruptive for us and maybe it's not um, done in good intention, but if it's the truth and it's really there, it can be very hard to integrate that and that's what i mean by bringing the shadow into the light so right now we're in a time i think where we do have to as humanity and as individuals and as leaders specifically too, um, really look at what we are about and come to terms with the parts of us maybe we don't accept or the parts of us we don't like or the parts of us that don't make us look good there have been some excellent examples like um, the lady in finland I forget if she's a president or a prime minister. I think she's a prime minister.
0: Prime minister. Sanamaria.
1: Life, exactly. Had her social life out there. And she handled it in a way that people are really beginning to kind of restructure and rearrange in terms of how we agreeably uh, integrate the shadow of who we are in leadership positions. So I think when we talk about... um, The times we're in, it's an incredible opportunity for us to have to to learn about the way to be more integrative as human beings, and for our leaders to also be more integrative, and yes, to have to uphold certain virtues and values at a certain point in their leadership and to be real about that, to be honest about it, to not be hiding things in the shadows, to actually be integrating it. And of course, if there's certain things that are not appropriate, then yeah, they should not be in leadership positions. And that's a very hard line to draw because we haven't had the courage as a a race, as a species, to really uphold that throughout history. And, you know, we've, we've all suffered and we still do. Our egos are, you know, constructed this way to want power and to not give up power when uh, someone decides or it comes to light that maybe we don't deserve it. Uh, It takes a lot of maturity. And so I love that quote. I forget who said it, but the person who wants uh, power the least is the best to hold it. So, you know, those kinds of studied leaders that have been into depths and have uh, come to terms with their own fallibility, and uh, can stand still strong. And then, guide. I think are the people we we really need to be listening to now. And those kinds of people are are humble, totally in nature, but they have the virtue and the integration of ego with essence. You know, really kind of standing in in true power to be able to truly lead. And I think this is where we are now. We're trying to see how do we recalibrate leadership in the world and how can we be more real and integrative
0: these are big things aren't they yeah particularly when uh in times of uncertainty uh, the natural instinct is to turn to uh someone and say please take this pain away from me please lead me please help me and and that sort of leads to the populist uh environment that we we find ourselves in where people just love the message and and uh will be incredibly loyal to that even if it actually leads them into more pain
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's so interesting you you re- re- reference that because it also reminds me of how we're in a time where there's new versions of what leading really is like we have influences now um Andy Warhol said, everyone's going to be famous for at least one minute in the future. And I mean, here it is, it's true. You watch a video, it could be 6 million people watching it on something that maybe years ago would only be taught or shown um, in a very particular position, whereas now we have this free access. So we're all called into that visibility to have to be more... um, visible in all of who we are and so you know does it help us be more responsible or not you know we don't know
0: (laughs) how do you see exploring the dichotomy of science and spirituality helpful in building solutions for tomorrow's challenges is it a dichotomy
1: beautiful question I think we just went there a little bit didn't we we sort of talked about um the critical time we're in and that change uh, as well as conflict can bring us into such a deep contemplation with ourselves at a deeper level and I think that is what I understand from spiritual and that everything is spiritual depending on your perception as well of it of course you know it depends what you think spirituality is what anyone listening thinks spirituality is but uh, I don't see the dichotomy in certain instances as much as i do in others and i think that in itself is such an interesting reflection of how we haven't been able to integrate things in life that go beyond our ego's desire because that's probably the simplest version of spirituality for me is to feel things to want things to serve things to offer yourself to things that are not just for your own self-interest and that builds some kind of spiritual value or what spirituality is trying to teach us i guess is how to be considerate how to have a certain moral tone uh, not because things are really right or wrong just because certain things serve the universal law of nature and the way things evolve and other things could corrupt that or destroy that Um, but it's all part of this universe so it's all accepted it's all part of our growth i guess um But really the distinctions that we've made in the world about what is scientific, what is spiritual, have started to merge in the most beautiful way now. We have some amazing research that's proving, you know, all the way from Dr. Deepak Chopra's work, who's a very spiritually focused um, medical practitioner, bringing this kind of laws of physics into success, business, um, healthy living, all the way to very new research on things that have been taught in yoga since the beginning of time you know so we have amazing research on on energy how it moves up the spine what happens in the brain when we visualize when we meditate um and what's actually going on when we think into a sense of gratefulness and appreciation and you run serenity leadership so you know exactly what I mean Tom so that serenity and that peacefulness I think we're all trying to find through our spirituality, um, but sometimes get distracted with a million other things we think we're looking for. But I think it's that internal piece. I mean, that in itself, serenity itself, I think is something we could call spiritual in some way. So mm. I would answer it yes and no. The dichotomy exists because our consciousness can't grasp it maybe. But does it really exist in truth? No. I had an amazing supervisor once who told me, um about this whole discussion between the mind and body and i was having a very interesting inquiry about the body why do we talk about the body and why do we talk about the mind and he said to me well you are your body and in that statement it just uh, landed for me that the way we keep separating things is part of our problem is that we are one thing we are this whole reality so yeah let's stop there before it gets too philosophical
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but i agree with you so your your work also looks at um uh, well the, the body mind we've talked about that but how has your research into neuroscience impacted how you see the relationship
1: between science and spirituality
0: well the body mind
1: right between the body and the mind well the, what my example that i just led into now maybe um, for all of us um, certainly around my age group maybe a little bit older we've grown up with the the inclusion of technology interspersed through our uh, growth um, and now we've come into a time where technology is fully in our lives and fully operational and it's become a new language. Uh, And what it's given us is an ability to really research uh, real-time cognition, which we never had in the beginning of my training as a psychologist. So I was actually told when I wanted to study how rhythm affects the brain to wait until the technology evolves, because at that time you couldn't study, just as an example, how, and it's a great example for this question, um, how the mind is responding to the body in real time. So you couldn't see how, it, let's say you somebody gives you a gift and you want to see how that affects the cognition in the brain. There was only MRIs way back when. Now that we can actually see real-time MRI and we can have um, certain interference into the MRI imaging in neuroscience, um, we can still Ext- we can actually extract different pieces of that data to see what is the actual um, effect mm. of feeling when you open up this present there's been some amazing sci-fi videos on all this stuff too um you know what happens in virtual reality what's going on in children's brains when they play so many games so before you just couldn't do that because the motion would if- affect the imaging so you wouldn't be able to have realistic results now you can and so to my point is that in so doing it's come to light that all that we've been studying until now is very separatist again it's been very dualistic very separatist thinking like we say well the brain is doing this but now we know the brain is actually connected to the heart and they communicate together and we call that coherence and this all this new heart math research that people, I think, have simplified, but it's very um, complex and a very significant discovery in our time, this true integrative component between brain and heart Mm. and how they they cannot work separately, they work together. Mm. And the magic of that relationship creates, again, the magic of each organ being so magnificent for what it does. It could simply never exist separately. And the same now for the lungs and the breath. So the fact that the body breathes and the heart pulsates and the brain uh, creates connections through this whole central nervous system is a very, very profound system of, synergy, of synergistic operations going on all at once. So for me, it's been fascinating to discover that because it's actually helped me to, I guess, deepen my practice of psychology and respect even more my approach to spirituality and to insist on having them integrate even though in my profession there's certain confusion about how they do and of course one has to be very mindful of who you work with and how you work and how people understand information so we have like um a responsibility, I guess, to begin to find ways to understand these things in unison as opposed to separating. There's been a lot of problems in medicine. It's one of my big passions to elevate health thought leaders who work on the integrative spectrum, a little bit beyond what is called holistic, but to work more at putting the pieces to work together of how people get sick and how they get better. And although we know it and we've heard it, it's really not practiced and it's not Uh, respected enough in 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 moments where it absolutely counts and it's critical that it should matter so when people you know have a chronic illness they need to be met with an emotional tone and a level of spiritual inquiry in their recovery process but we just don't we don't have that in the protocol of how we work with people in the medical industry even and that's very disconcerting for me so it's been a very important part of my work in my career is to understand that and to bring new ways of explaining why this is so important from looking at ancient knowledge indigenous knowledge and seeing how does it match up with the science how do we put all this together where can we display this information so people listen more how can we insist that people in leadership positions in in health and wellness um, be more considerate of how to integrate things because Uh, we do a lot of damage by just treating the liver for example for a disease and not looking at what is the for example emotional component to what led to that yes particular disease
0: I I find all this subject completely riveting uh, and it's very exciting how we're finally finally beginning to integrate We're, we're you know just acknowledging that there's whatever it is, five thousand years of 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 wisdom that modern science has just discarded because it doesn't fit into certain paradigms. It always strikes me, though, that you know, when I lived in the states, it was very interesting because I, I if I needed a, a physical assessment, right, I could, I could go to a place that's supported by the the insurance company, and they would pay for it. Whereas here in the UK they won't pay for anything unless you get sick. <laughs> and, so no
1: prevention, no like making sure you don't need the system at some point so heavily. Lots yeah. of problems. Yeah, I know in Holland when I lived there for, for a while there was a big crisis in the healthcare system and they were they were talking about the whole system in Europe going to collapse at some point. This was even pre-covid. Imagine now post-covid where things really stand and uh, the whole point of even having to go and get your medical documents x-rayed in a separate place and have that information in a separate place versus you know the doctor who treats you all that kind of separatist thinking again you know not having everything in one place uh, doctor knows many other things that have happened to you I mean we try but we we haven't really gotten far enough with any of this so it's it's good that we're in a time when we're starting to realize it
0: yes and of course the the same applies within organizations you know that's that's what we do is really try and look at what's happening at a systemic level because um almost always when you you are asked to deal with a presenting problem that's never the problem (laughs) it's something else it's something deeper Uh, And and that's the bit to to chase, otherwise you're forever solving a problem and creating new problems in the in the way that you solve it, which of course helps consultancies uh, um, with their income, but actually doesn't help the clients. So um, your your retreats uh, and workshops focus on women and truth.
1: (laughs) Yes. What
0: what lies do you think women believe and how does this impact their careers?
1: Yeah, I'm laughing because this word truth is so uh, interesting to unpack. I think I've become so passionate about this topic and now so um, spent getting to the bottom of it. You know, when you try and get to the bottom of a barrel type idea, you know, digging, digging or, or looking for water underground. Um, I tend to go into those spaces a little I like to search for things and I've discovered some very interesting uh, obvious facts and I think the fact that they're so obvious is part of what is fascinating for me because there are really specific barriers to all of us developing into our fullest potential and we've recently seen a lot of study in that We've also, I think, all gotten a little bit nauseous from the amount of feminism and post-feminism and gender equity and female representation topics and debates that are out there right now. We are in full throttle um, dissecting, analyzing, promoting, insisting about fixing certain things in the world that uh, we think are not right. But the fact that they remain Stuck in some ways is part of why I decided to discover um, some of the deeper layers in it, and I I can definitely say that for me. um, I needed to prove the research first, obviously, because it's not just uh, my opinion that matters, it needs to be founded in some kind of evidence, and this is where things became very interesting because the obvious things I discovered. um, Were still not being dealt with and this is what I think is the most fascinating thing about truth is that we all know different things about ourselves that are the truth but we don't have something in us that helps us manage to integrate it or uh, we don't is it courage is it Uh, the social political environment that tells us we need to hide that away and this is what I was beginning to become much more um, focused on so when I discovered the lies they have a lot to do with self-esteem and self-worth that women do question their self-worth at a very deep level level and the bigger inquiry then is why and what are the building blocks that have to be amended for that to stop or to at least slow down. And why are we so deadlocked in this debate, in this discussion? And again, it's so obvious. We all know there's been a system where, you know, men have been more active in certain circles and women in some way kind of endorsed that, but also women had another very significant job to do, which kept them a bit away from being that active in those spaces, which is child rearing. We didn't have contraception until very recently. We don't have a lot of very experienced business women in the world. Most of them are, are amateur at best. When you look at the, the length of time they've been experimenting with business compared to what men have been experimenting um, on and in for you know, the time that they've been there. So the lies are um, really around self-esteem, not feeling good enough. The other lies like um, feeling like you have to be like a man in order to succeed. And there's a great paradox in that one. It's kind of a dichotomy in a way, but it's a healthy paradox because it's part of what gets us to engage with what is deadlocked and unlock from that. Um, And there's another lie that also, we don't matter as much in these spaces, that we matter in other places. And then you see women over-identifying with the role of being a mother or, you know, being the one who's in charge of the kitchen or the one who's going to, you know, be micromanaging the cleanliness of the house because in that way that's where she's allowed to have her power and leadership certainly in very um traditional societies like here in cyprus where i live you know there's very specific um you could say adjustments women make in order to feel their power but in these spaces they do feel like they don't matter that much and then they look out there and they'll see well there aren't that many women the The story's changing But I think there's a lot of things that we still need to do. And one of the main remedies that I talk about in this um, book I'm now publishing on all these results is how we need to get back in touch with our spiritual legacy as women. This is one of the things we have to do. We've been cut from our magic. So how do we do that? Many different ways, Um, but it's really having to retrieve all this ancient knowledge from the women in antiquity that were leaders, the matriarchal communities, the the divine feminine essence, and and really begin to embody that and make sense of it in this time that we're living in. And I know you're such a great supporter, Tom, of the whole feminine kind of curve into business. So um, it's always great to talk about these subjects with you because it's nothing but deeply confirming to hear more and more men support that and see that and contribute towards it like you do too
0: mm, thank you thank you I, I, it does feel incredibly important to me for whatever reason i was listening to the radio yesterday there was a an interview with uh, a young woman in pakistan who is doing whatever she can to help uh, uh, women who are who, all the 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 normal um facilities that women have for their menstrual cycle um have sort of been stopped I mean and and so there's a lot of awful lot of women who are in distress just as a result of that quite apart from anything else and she was reflecting on how her family have disowned her because she's dealing with this issue She's raising money and and all that kind of thing and the the what what do you think are the roots of the the unwillingness I mean unwilling is is, is probably a very weak word there um of, of people um to 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 allow what I call a healthy conversation around this this whole subject where does it come from? What What are the roots of this? Distaste or I mean, it's it's taboo, isn't it? Um, where, where, where does yeah. it come from?
1: Do you mean specifically men's approach towards menstruation or do you mean generally women trying to solve women related issues and how the world supports that?
0: <clears throat> well, I, I had in my mind men's issues with with menstruation uh, and, and yeah. the, unwillingness to wow. to talk about it and indeed i mean you know i've i've i uh I, i've uh, had conversations with some very powerful women in large organizations who as you've described already tend to behave like men and their unwillingness to discuss this and the whole sort of uh, it's it's such a closed subject and yet it's it's such a, a natural part of our our beingness humanness no beingness
1: now we're swimming in these beautiful waters of like uh, transparency with the truth because here is where it's really cracking open where we see our inability to integrate the shadow and um, the distaste I think is coming back to this feeling of shame and the shame in itself Is very, very complex because it has within it a certain amount of absolute bias and prejudice towards uh, strength as opposed to vulnerability. And if we start to unpack that even more, we see the low emotional intelligence. So to be able to feel emotions and work through them and become new and guide oneself out so that you. Um, know what to do from that feeling because feelings always have a message and only when we kind of get too stuck on them and even then there's a reason for that there's something we're being shown because we get so stuck or get so sad or get so lonely you know there's something we're needing that we can't offer so when there's so much shame that we can't deal with something that is a natural part of life um, we have to begin asking those questions is why am I so attached to that shame and I think it has many different reasons one is just what we said an inability to process emotion and to deal with vulnerability second one and i think thirdly there really is a certain piece of magic inside the menstrual cycle that we've always had and we've always known about and women have actually um, done ritual and ceremony and all kinds of practices which many of us are aware of in ancient times but we consider that Paganistic or kind of wrong or primal or tribal, but in fact, it is primordial. And there's something in our society that wants to go away from what is primal or primordial and wants to be more progressive. And we equate a progressive approach with being far away from nature. So it's not uncommon that you would see people that are trying to move into more modernized type societies try to hide shame or silence, or make secret, or bury these parts of us that are more connected to the primordial realm, or the parts of us that in this case are primordial and carry a bit of magic. Plus, there's a lot of mystery around the true power and nature of women when they are in harmony and synchronization with the menstrual cycle and the kind of um, intuitive, embodied wisdom and power they bring to the world. And after delving really deep into these topics, I have come to the conclusion that there is a lot of fear of that in men and in women. It's different, but it's very unconscious and it's passed on generation to generation. And in fact, there's so much fear of it that it's actually been, and we see this in different pathology and psychology, which is fascinating to talk more about. I don't know if we have, you know, that kind of time, but we tend to go into really weird extractions when we are really sick in something. And you see this in kind of pathological behavior, or if we can say, you know, a bit more technical term of like sexual um, paraphilias, what, what we call distortions of sexual energy, happen when there isn't a primal need being met in love and intimacy in certain people that maybe... You know, even fetishes are very interesting to notice because somebody might develop a fetish because um, they, again, haven't been able to have enough of this thing or they've got a lot of ideas that start to build up about this particular part of a woman's body or this particular part of um, life as we see it, you know, it can happen with wealth, with food, with um, sex, with drugs, with whatever. You know, we fixate on things when we're not meeting the deeper need And so I think the deeper need is to truly venerate, respect, and adore women and their magic. But somewhere, religion, social, political structure, um, the whole complexity of what birth and having children actually does to men and their sense of responsibility, we have to respect that that's a very challenging thing for men to be confronted with a pregnancy, and to have to parent when it's not something they embody but it's something they um, they give to and sometimes unconsciously sometimes they didn't want to sometimes they wish it just wasn't there (laughs) we would all love to not you know have to reap the consequences of our actions at at different points (laughs) all this together i think in those moments you know there is this absolute distrust and distaste for certain things that are going to call up in us all this awkward inept um you know self-judgment judgment of others which really is always just a reflection of our own inability to deal with the shadow again so how do i and and really it shouldn't be the shadow but the magic in it is the shadow the the the, the awkwardness of it is the shadow. And why women have been in charge of that part of society is again, a fascinating point, which is why I say maybe we we don't have the time to go so deep into that. But it is true in many texts that deal with the feminine essence at the tantric level and in, you know, in deep teachings, they talk about how women are in charge of pulling the hair out of the drain, when they're cleaning. And women have that role of being in charge of the menstrual cycle so they see a side of life they deal with a side of life that men can not see and men can choose also to not uh, feel any uh, responsibility for or in not all do and not all would want to but it just happens that they might not because they don't have to deal with blood every month so they don't have that priming and that sensitivity and that tolerance and then that respect for that domain and i think that too becomes a contributing factor can't believe we've ended up here <laughs> from leadership <laughs> to pulling hair out the drain and dealing with uh um, yeah menstrual blood yeah but it's very much to the point of of the feminine right
0: well yes it is and I, I think there's an awful lot of leaders out there and I I, I was noticing my own sort of reactions physically re- my you reactions to, as you as you were talking yes. um because it, and then I was sort of asking myself wh- where is that coming from you know it's all it's, it's almost archetypal the, yes this, this sense of of um wanting to distance from some of the things that you're you're saying it, I, I, it's fascinating for me how often in these podcasts we, we, we're we talking about um, how can we uh, lead responsibly in a VUCA world with integrity and purpose and actually the, the word fear just keeps coming up um, uh, and um, you know the fear of the unknown uh, and you know you talk about Vuka the the ambiguity in that the a
1: yes this is the feminine the unknown you know in Tantra we speak about the male being very powerful in the space of the known and the woman just dating there for nine months waiting is in practice with this part of of the field is the part that is unknown it's the moon at night the feminine the sun is the masculine yeah. so the sun is radiant visible for all to see the moon is lurking mysterious waiting uh, it's beautiful it's poetic and,
0: yeah and yeah and, and so the, the
1: <laughs> I got excited and interrupted you I'm sorry
0: <laughs> no, no 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 because I, I I mean this is so beautiful I, I um one of the things I I firmly believe in um is that leaders of the future have got to be more self-aware They've got to understand these 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 um, these movement, movements that take place inside themselves that drive them in certain ways and and, and are non, they're, they're nonsensical uh, and, um, and yet they are so elemental they're so deeply rooted uh, and so you know I I I've, I found it fascinating um whenever I've raised sort of menstrual cycles in in uh in polite circles it, it you know and there's this sort of uh, uh, uh what I've learned is a deep deep respect for something that I was never brought up to understand or to see or to know and yet you've 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 sort of t- described some aspects of that it 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 is so um fundamental mm-hmm. and and yet both men and women push it away they, they try and um hold, hold it hold it back I remember one woman um speaking to me uh, when we were in this this kind of conversation and she said um you know you work with your your PA do you know uh, her menstrual cycle I said no <laughs> she said well if she's prepared to share that it would help you and Mm -hmm. you know if you are inviting her to take time off when she needs to go inside and be dare I say fully the woman that she is then you'll get more out of her you'll you'll you know and I hadn't I'd never thought of that
1: (laughs) I'm so impressed Tom I'm so impressed this is exactly the kind of work we are unearthing in Women of Truth, and actually beyond it, because it is quite known to a lot of women now that that there is great power in syncing this feminine um, rhythm of life with the success rates and the expectations of success. And many women coming out in the book, even uh, we have an example of Sarah Yaga, who's actually a menstrual coach. And other women, you know, there's very big impacts if women have been sexually violated to their relationship with their own femininity, which really affects relationships, which should then become a very important conversation, because that time going within is all about healing. And if there isn't respect for it, and there isn't, um, you know, understanding of that, this woman goes in defiance to her own need continuously. And the world has trained women to do that. We have actually been I think, pretty consciously um, manipulated out of that mojo, that magic of being in sync. You know, women used to menstruate with the 27 moon day cycle, and there's 27 days to sync up the biorhythm in the body. And because we now work on a judo-Christian calendar, we don't have that natural sync up, so women fight harder to try to find it, and many of them have no clue. So that puts them out of sync with their own bodies. We see so much more infertility now. We see so many products of that amnesia that Mm. have been forced into. And then you say, so rightly, men are oblivious to this. And it's really how women would not fall pregnant. They would follow that calendar, 13 days, safe periods. Uh, It's how they would go into ceremony. It's how they would come to terms with the true nature of living and the true nature of death is that, that very important substance is in relationship with them continuously so it's also what activates these deeper pathways for them to learn to love to nurture to not want to shed blood elsewhere mm. so you see a lot of a lot of a lot of connection to the way of living is lost when we're not aware of this and when we're not speaking the truth about it so you know let this podcast (laughs) be a call to all of us that even when we speak professionally we can go to the depths and to the most unexpected places to speak the deepest truth because these are very very important things for us to start to learn to be more comfortable with they are part of our own nature and there's a very interesting anecdotal piece in psychoanalytic work which talks about how men have an innate fear towards the feminine Because um, they have left the feminine from their mothers, and they have such an attraction back to the feminine if they are heterosexual, or to some feminine qualities, even if they are um, homosexual or non-defined or binary or fluid or whatever we call that. There is a fascinating conversation about what are we doing with gender and how do we work with male, female in the world now when it comes to young people trying to process. Um, that fluidity. is learning how to have less constrictive views about gender and learning how to be able to move and flow inside, you know, what is feminine and what is masculine. So we have this very beautiful um, uh, challenge, really, to come into union and complementary union with these two different forces, Which means we are going to have to have some uncomfortable moments uh, learning how to be certain things express certain things understand certain things that we've just decided we don't have to because we're a girl or we're a boy or because we're a woman or we're a man or we're hetero you know we're different race groups or different religions so this integrative psychology is such an important piece but back to that psychoanalytic thing so then for men it's quite threatening when you asked me the reason, to have to look deeply at the reality of how birth happens, because there's a conflict, it's said in psychoanalytic work, between uh, the attraction back to the feminine, if there is a heterosexual uh, person we're speaking about, and the desire to be free of it forever. So there's like this dance between i want to be independent and responsible for myself i don't want this faffing mother nurturing all over me and you know yes it's lovely that i'm attracted to this woman if i'm heterosexual and i want to be with her but i don't want to go back there Mm. in the physical sense there's very interesting um references to that and then also energetically i don't want to go back there i don't want to be infantilized again and so we have this very interesting uh, relationship sometimes, men and women, in developing in relationships, is how to not play out that role. That's the whole Freudian-Oedipal complex that soon the world is saying goodbye to, because I don't think many people in the world really understand it at the primordial archetypal level that it refers to. Um, but it's this, it's this subtle subtle level of, of intolerance and distaste and shame for being associated back to the feminine in a way where I have to actually step up and take more responsibility mm. in so many different ways now as well when it's on an adult level. Yeah.
0: And I suppose um that kind of explains some of the expressions of misogyny that we 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 see so much of. And
1: and Very, very nice for us to bring it back. Exactly what you just said comes back to what I was saying before. That's what we see in human nature is that when we are trying to um, resist something, we will go sometimes and counteract it or even compensate for it. And a lot of the bullying tactics and a lot of the kind of over-controlling nature that we might see from mass male to female, um, you know, that kind of kind of pull away is is sometimes very much because there is a, a deeper desire to want to come to terms and integrate with it, but not yet the skill to do so. Mm. So I'll kind of demonize it. Or pathologize it, or shame it, and we've got a lot of that throughout all the gender discussion. You know how we we shame uh, women for so many different things, um, and uh, you know that comes after working with many different um, survivors or victims of gender-based violence. You see how gender and violence and power have a very sordid. Um, story to tell us about our own human nature and our uh intolerance with seeing these parts of us that are really unhealthy or very toxic or greedy or uh, impurities of the mind playing out in ways where we just simply haven't done the work we haven't been shown the way we haven't got enough education we don't have people holding our hands and saying you know at a young age when we boys or girls like you know this is something you really need to be respectful of you know like Mm -hmm. it's not bad and it's not you know um, something to be afraid of it's this is how it works and we try to do it but I think we need as we said right at the top of this podcast very specific leaders that have been to those depths and have really seen themselves and they've survived some time in that darkest night and they've come through knowing um their vulnerability mm. at a very deep level and they have great reverence and respect for the the path that we all take and they can guide us in that because they will show some of the way of how to do more of this um, respectfully mm.
0: so you, you know that we at uh, serenity and leadership research and explore expressions of the masculine and the feminine looking for ways for the feminine to be more widely expressed, both in men and and women. Um, From your experience, how can we encourage men to join in the conversation and how can women help with this?
1: It's been a big topic of conversation amongst the female leaders that I work with and the networks and the conferences and summits we all kind of contribute to, is how do we get uh, men into these spaces and are they always, uh, suitable spaces for men in what con- in which contexts are there and i think it's a consensus opinion now that we cannot go the rest of the way without men beside us with us behind us wherever right we need um to work together there is a complementary nature between men and women and we haven't reached that synergy yet and it's part of all of our i guess re- co- contribution to the planet to be able to live into that space and contribute equally and complement each other truthfully we do it in certain places but we need to learn to do it in more and I think one of the conversations I've seen is for more and more men to begin to understand through their partners what their partners experiences are if they have partners that are female if they're heterosexual and uh, to take it upon themselves to become more educated about what women are about separately to having them engage in these kind of contexts. I think that in itself is kind of exposure, you know, when you have prejudices towards things, the best thing is to actually spend time with that thing you have prejudice towards. This is all racial prejudice theories based on all that research of sitting with the thing I'm afraid of. So like when you're afraid of spiders, you need to sit with a spider. And slowly, you kind of diffuse the fear. And there's controversy around it, but it works. And we need it in this context, we need men to sit with women and understand them at a deeper level in the more normal area of life. Then, when they feel more sensitized to this, and they themselves become a little bit more interested in the topic like you have, and many others are starting to do, um, I think it's great to come and engage in some of these women's networks. That's one suggestion I have for men: is to listen in and to be selective. Uh, choose ones that you respect. Choose um, communities of women that you think are up to something that you align with in another area. You know, in in your life, it doesn't have to be that. You know, you just want to you know get to know the feminine point of view. But what are the topics? You know, is it about environment? Is it women being more politically active? Is it Um, youth. What is it? And see if you can engage in some of those platforms. And there are many of them now. This is why I'm suggesting it. There wasn't this opportunity like this before, whereas now there is. And see how is it resonating? What part of you gets ignited? What, What is happening in the personal space when you're listening to what these women are about on that leadership level? And then I think the conversation can happen also from father to son. I think there's a very important gap um in our societies because women are not um passing on the eldership like they used to before and neither are men. We're trying to do it in a new modernized version, but it's it's not happening. It's very clear to see when I work with young people and with you know parents therapeutically, it's very challenging. Um, to actually get a realistic wise point of view from an ancestral uh, kind of lineage and or an elder in the community and many elders in the community like it used to happen in ancient practices so now we have to compensate for that and so there are projects like the mankind project goes off and brings men into kind of collectives and sort of initiates them through nature in some kind of way to talk more about some of these topics we've been talking about today and many others Um, we have an equivalent to this of like men teaching their sons to go fishing or you know maybe even more extreme and in some cases people agree others don't of men teaching boys to hunt Um, but these things are not necessarily um synced up with the times we're living in. So we need to evolve some of these forward. And I would love to see Mm. men coming forward doing that. And uh, thinking of new ways to support young men to understand more about women. Mm. And then, quite frankly, I think the time is here already, for men and women to get on equal platforms, the ones that are ready, because there are many that aren't, and there are many that will never be, honestly. That's something I've taken my career to accept and I have eventually. Some of us are not here for the big game. Some of us are going to stay on levels of self-interest and that's just where we are. And it, it doesn't have to be judged. It needs to be accepted at some level, but to really just support people to get to a very next level that they can get to, you know, that's fair enough because you might go on a renegade hunt to try and convert and transform the world where you know, the world doesn't need to be transformed and and converted. Some say we are in divine time and divine order. So each to his own, which take anybody wants to have on that, but I think the the people that are ready and are willing can jump onto platforms and begin talking about how do we get more women into political debate? How do we get more leaders voted in that have a level of awareness and consciousness to deal with things. It's often not the answers to these questions that are stopping us. It's more the systemic toxicity that we've created that we have to unravel. But we need a few transformational people in these sectors to start to diffuse that toxicity. But it's not easy work. So I've always, um being scouting for people that are able to do more of the support behind the scenes for those who are going to go and be more um, upfront or in the visibility spaces that leaderships uh, that leadership requires nowadays. Um, there will need to be uh, a council, an advisory board, a support structure that's therapeutically trained that's dealing with crisis, that knows how to deal with conflict mediation, but not just at the diplomatic professional level, at the emotional level. Mm -hmm. So until and if anyone's interested in setting those kinds of structures up, you know, um, we might have very short-lived type conversations, but I think there is some momentum growing. So even people
0: listen. So um, Helen, we've... uh... We should draw this to a close. If people want to learn more about your work and um, uh, what you're doing and perhaps to to uh, converse with you, uh, how do they get hold of you?
1: Um, I'm offering some discovery calls for people if they want to go to this next level in their leadership capacity. And they can find me on a website simply www.helen.com com So it's com And I'm on LinkedIn as Helenique, my nickname, H-E-L-E-N-I-Q. And you heard that surname, Argyrou, A-R-G-Y-R-O-U. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much, Tom, for this and for everyone listening.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been great to, well, to hear your wisdom you. and your experience.
1: Yeah, wonderful yeah. indeed. Thank you so much.